Bibles or look up behind me. Uh, Open your Bibles to John chapter 16, and we're going to start at verse 13. Now, we had a wonderful men's advance this past weekend, the part of it that I got to be involved in. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord uh, moved Friday night. And what's fascinating, and I was just telling some, some folks yesterday when we were downtown at Derrick Days, the worship leader was 15 years old. For those of you who know pastors Chris and Faith Kelly out in Powderly, Texas, their boy was leading worship this past weekend. And uh, I don't know if you know it, but uh, every year you get older. And I'm at a stage in my life where everything hurts. And when you're carrying around a base that weighs that much, you don't want to wear it long. Okay? This kid came in prepared, and as Gary would say, he cocked both barrels and was ready to fire. And the preacher never made it to the pulpit on Friday night, and that kid led worship for two straight hours. And my back, I love this kid. He's so humble. He's so sweet. My back hated him with all that was in it. Tyler, he was on guitar, owned the stage, phenomenal work that he did. And he was, when he was done, he was like, oh, get me out of this. And he just, <laughs> it was so cute because he led worship for so long. When he finally got done, he just stopped playing piano. It was after the altar call and everything. And Ben said, that's all I got, you guys. I'm done. And he, it was the end of this word. It was fabulous. A fantastic experience in the Lord this past weekend. And uh, Brother Chris Kelly did an excellent job of leading, organizing, etc. Uh, Bishop, is there anything you want to add to that commentary at all about the men's retreat? No? Yes. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yes. Amen. I told uh, the brother, the preacher. Yeah, go ahead. Give the bishop a round of applause. I told I told the preacher after the fact. I said I I, I hear a lot of preachers, and uh, I said this was one of the most insightful, intuitive, ap- applicable, and I used a few other descriptive terms. Absolutely spectacular spectacular message yesterday. So with that, thank you, Bishop. Um, John 16, beginning in verse 13, we're going to read through verse 15. Uh, The Bible says in the NIV, but when he, the spirit of truth, 
make sure and make note of that title, the Spirit of Truth. Comes, He will guide you into all the truth. You know, that is the primary function of the Holy Spirit. Guiding us into all truth. And the funny thing about the Holy Spirit, we read this um, particular scripture, and we're not done yet, obviously, but we read that scripture and we hear the Lord Jesus Christ speaking this word into his disciples, into his followers. We hear him doing that, and so we think of the Holy Spirit in this context as one that since we're Christians... Since we're believers, that has kind of truncated or narrowed the focus of the Holy Spirit's leading us into all truth. But in reality, if you know anything about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the... Now remember, this moniker, this title, doesn't just apply to Him from a Christian perspective. He doesn't suddenly become the Spirit of truth. Because you're saved. He's the Spirit of truth because He's the Spirit of truth. Whether you're saved or you're lost is irrelevant. Why is that important to know? Simple. When you were lost, someone drew you to the place where you became saved. That person was not a preacher. That person who drew you was not a Sunday school teacher. That person who drew you wasn't the author of the latest Christian book. The one who drew you was the Spirit of truth. And the truth that He was pointing you to as a lost individual was the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation through His redemptive act. You can clap if you want. Let's move on. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine, Jesus said. This is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what He will make known to you. Now, how many of you right now are thinking, well, we're in a Pentecostal, Spirit-filled church. He's going to preach on the Holy Ghost. You can raise your hands if you think that. It's okay. We're not preaching on the Holy Ghost. The reason that text is being used is because the fact of the matter is is that He is the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit of truth, first and foremost, points the way to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to our worship traditions. Not to our denominational preferences. Nothing. His first and foremost job is to point us to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, This morning, oddly enough, I'm going to be speaking to you for just a few moments on the topic of apostasy. Doesn't really seem to go with the text, 
But it is. This is in in short. This is a hard topic to teach about. Okay? But keeping in mind what we have been discussing for the past several weeks, with the exception of the Easter series, this is in keeping with that series. A couple of Sunday mornings ago, in fact, I said to you, you can't teach on the subject of justification without teaching on the subject of apostasy. Now, when I said that, I need to make it through the next week on the subject of adoption, which we did last week. But now we're in a place where I can juxtapose justification with the subject matter at hand this morning, which is apostasy. Why is it that you can't really talk about justification without talking about apostasy? Because how many of you who were here uh, the past couple of weeks remember the equations that I put up here on the screen? Started with redemption. And you add to redemption salvation. And you add to salvation justification. And in the end of that equation, that all equals, as it were, the accomplishment of adoption. That equation. Redemption plus salvation plus justification equals adoption. Well, redemption is God's solution to sin. Redemption is a thing that has been sitting ready for access for since Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected, then making His ascension. Redemption has been sitting there waiting. An act of God, we all know this, I've been over this multiple times, but it's good. Repetition is the key to learning. For the vast majority of us, unless you have a photographic memory, and I don't. My camera, as my father-in-law has said, is out of film. So I don't have a photographic memory. But if we repeat things, we tend to internalize them. So redemption is the first part of that equation, and it was the answer to our sin problem by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, shedding His blood, being buried, rising from the dead and completing the redemptive story by ascending and is now seating at the right hand of the Father. That's redemption. That was God's thing. That was His idea. And it's in place. It is sitting there in place, ready for all men to access. Salvation, the next step, is our acknowledgement, our recognition that I need that thing that God has provided, that redemptive plan through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We look at that, we hear that message because the Spirit of truth has led us and opened our hearts and our minds to that redemptive reality. We say, in essence... I'm lost. I'm a sinner. And I need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then He will make me, uh, then He will save me. And I will be saved. And I'll be eternally right with Him. The next step, justification, is then again another move on the part of God where He sees our affirmative act of, redemp- of, of, of uh, repentance 
in salvation, and then He declares us, by virtue of the placement of the blood of Jesus on our lives, He declares us justified. And of course, the old adage, justified never sinned. Jesus, or the Lord God, He declares us a new person. Old things have passed away. Behold, look, everything from this point forward is new. That's the Bible. He sees us that way. It is as though whatever we were before we got saved, that doesn't exist anymore. This is a brand new start. This is a new... And God... God sees us on the throne before salvation as condemned, guilty. And then the embracing of the blood of Jesus Christ through redemption, He says, Boom! You are as though you were never there. You are brand new. That's justification in God's eyes. And He declares it. We don't do anything but admit guilt. He applies the blood, and then God declares us as justified before Him. And of course, He moves to the last step. Adoption. Where justification, like I told you last week or uh, a week before last, justification is the legal action of the application of having blood legally applied to your life. Because the Bible says, without blood, there is no remission of sin. So the blood of Jesus is applied. We become justified. That's the legal action of God. And then because you are just as if you had never sinned, He says, now you're my son or my daughter. He moves from the legal angle to the familial angle, and He adopts us as sons and daughters. Hallelujah! The thing about that equation is that justification is different. It's unique in that process. Why? Because when we stand... I'm going to get specific... When we stand justified before God, it's just it's just as if I'd, just as if you'd, just as if we'd never sinned. Now ponder that. Let that percolate for a moment. What you were is no longer. We believed the message of the cross impressed upon us by the Holy Spirit of truth. And as a a result, we possess a standing before God. This is why justification is unique. We have a standing before God that we could not have possibly imagined, much less hoped for in our wildest dreams, we could not have imagined the standing that you and I now possess in God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Some of us have some pretty wild imaginations, and in our wildest outreaches of our imaginations, we could not imagine being a son or a daughter of God. Viewed 
with a heritage, with an inheritance, the same as the Jesus who saved us, we now stand in that. We have to understand that the full force and efficacy of the cross applied to our lives results in the breadth, the width, the height, and the depth of our past sins eradicated, abolished, and eliminated in perfect totality. So much so that the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And then the prophet Micah, he goes on and he says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. In being justified, hear this, not even God Himself retains a point of reference concerning our sin-laden history. Not even God keeps it on file. Justification is different. We'll see why. First, let's define what apostasy actually is. Apostasy, also known as, in the lay person's tongue, as backsliding, is a word used to describe a process by which an individual who was once a convert to Christianity reverts back to a pre-conversion lifestyle, turning from God in order to again pursue a life of sin. It is the total rejection of Christ by a person who at one time professed Him as Savior, who now publicly rejects Him. Getting a feel for why justification is a bit unique in this equation. Declared legally by the application of blood as changed. Old things passed away, new things only. Just to turn your back on the one whose blood was applied to you and all that He endured. Hebrews chapter 6 It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back 
to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. We read in these verses in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, we read in these verses where after having been fully exposed to the truth concerning both Christ and His kingdom, that with their eyes wide open and in broad daylight, these, at this time in the book of Hebrews, Jewish converts were in danger of choosing to turn away from the Lord and turn back toward their Jewish religious traditions. Again, choosing a decision, choosing to reject the truth of who Christ is, effectively, quote, crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace, and quote, ultimately apostatizing and subsequently sinning against the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10, just four chapters later, says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, did you catch that? The knowledge of the truth. Where do we get our truth from? The Spirit of truth. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy fig the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know Him who said, It is Mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The issue with apostasy is that, quote, if we deliberately 
keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, end quote. In other words, after we've been saved. And if saved, then justified through faith in Jesus Christ, just as if I'd never sinned. After which, choosing, making the decision to deliberately continue to sin, then according to Hebrews chapter 10, which we just wrote, read, we won, trample the Son of God underfoot. Two, treat as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified us. And three, we insult the Spirit of grace. Anybody here know someone who's backslidden? You should fear for them. Be afraid. Be very afraid. People who transgress the law of Moses. On the word of two or three people. How much more then? These three things combined. Trampling the Son of God underfoot. Treading. The, uh, treating the blood of the covenant as an unholy thing and insulting the Spirit of grace. These things make up the trifecta of apostasy that makes up the unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me Scatters. Do you want to know? Now I want you all to do an internal inventory. If you can't do it right now, do it sometime. And do it often. Do you want to know whether or not you're with Him or against Him? Ask yourself this question. Am I gathering or am I scattering? Is if all you've got is a mouth that harms and hurts and gossips and, and backbites and all of that, you are not gathering, you are scattering, and you are not with Him. What is it, James? Tongue's a little tiny member. But it is like the fire of hell. If you want to know whether or not you are with God, with Christ, find out if you're gathering or if you're scattering. Moving on in Matthew chapter 12. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whosoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind... Listen now, this is important for you to know. It's important for all of us to know every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. And then there's that word, but. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not 
be forgiven. Anyone who, now listen to this, this is spectacularly amazing. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Talk bad about him all day long. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. There is no forgiveness available for you. That is a perplexing issue. Everything can be forgiven except this one. Everything can be taken care of except this one. Why? What makes offending, speaking against, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, what makes that sin so grave that it is unforgivable? This does. One source says this, quote, Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is conscious and hardened opposition to the truth. Quote, according to 1 John 5 and 6, because the Spirit is truth. Conscious and hardened resistance to the truth leads man away from humility and repentance. And without repentance, there can be no forgiveness. End quote. What makes this sin so grave? This does. In 2015, in an interview in 2015, the late Reverend Billy Graham said this, quote, Only one sin that can't be forgiven is on God's list. And that is the sin of rejecting Him and refusing His offer of forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ. This alone is the unforgivable sin because it means we are saying that the Holy Spirit's witness about Jesus is a lie. End quote. G. Campbell Morgan in commenting on Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32, in his commentary, The Gospel According to Matthew, said this, quote, When a man says, I will not believe the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning Christ, he does so because in his heart he is refusing the King. This is the unpardonable sin. There is no sin under heaven that may not be put away. By infinite mercy, through the cross, except the sin which declines to receive the mercy. To receive the grace. Because it declines to submit to the scepter of the King. Morgan goes on by saying, If men persist in refusal... To obey, if they will have none of His grace, then they cannot be forgiven. The sin against the Holy Ghost is willful, personal, final rejection of the Spirit's testimony by words of the mouth which express the decisions of the heart. End quote. Apostasy is where one who has believed, who has been experienced all that the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God has to offer, 
through the shed blood of Christ, then turns from that decision to go back to the world. Apostasy is the total rejection of Christ by a person who at one time professed Him as Savior, but now who publicly rejects Him. But in close association to the sin of apostasy is the unpardonable sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit by refusing to, uh, to acknowledge in belief and submit to the Spirit's testimony concerning Christ. Remember this. Jesus said in Matthew 12 and 31, Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. There is nothing. Listen, there is nothing. That's not my theology. That's not my education talking. That's nothing but the Word of God. There is no sin that He can't forgive except the one not repented for. That's a heavy dose of dinner today. That's what we call meat and potatoes. And if I left it right there, it's going to feel like we overate. You ever walk away from the table having overeaten and you feel bad even though the food was good? Nobody but me? Really? Well, in an effort, in an effort to extend some hope, onto this landscape of hopelessness that I have just sown, I close with this. Peter wrote these words in Second Peter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The prophet Ezekiel wrote, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn! Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? 
back in Hebrews chapter 6. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. And then lastly, the single most concise verse of Scripture, in my opinion, concerning the gospel message in all of the New Testament. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. We could take a lesson as the church from that. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through faith. Stand with me this morning. So we did it. We talked about apostasy. We got that out of the way, Karen. We took care of that. If you have lost loved ones, as some of you acknowledged, do something. Do something. Pray for them. Speak to them. Live before them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tyler. Right now, and is there anyone in this house that does not?